Let's pray. Oh, Father, I pray this morning as we think upon Your Word, as we think about the resurrection of Jesus, may this be our heart, may this be our attitude, that yes, Christ is indeed risen from the dead. Oh, God, so stir within us faith to believe. God, stir within us the excitement that ought to be there. Capture within us the, the joy, God, of those who saw the risen Jesus. This is where all our, all our hope is found as we just think about uh, the end of our life, as we think about the, the life for, for eternity, for millions of years. It all depends upon a man raised from the dead, that by faith in Him, we too can live with Him, with a resurrected body. And so, Lord, in this we do rejoice. Thank You, Lord, for Your, your grace. Empower me now. God, may Your Spirit come to teach us from Your Word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, well, I want to begin my message this morning with a, a quiz that you, you will surely come up with a first answer, but that answer is going to be wrong. Alright? But that's okay. You can indulge me with that a little bit. Here's, here's my question. Who is this guy? And you're wrong. It is not Mark Twain. It's Mark Twain's... Yes. And that's not Einstein. Okay, but he looks a lot like Mark Twain. He looks a lot like Einstein, but he is, is neither of those. Morgan, there's no way. Mark Twain's son? No, 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 no. This is, this is who it is. Willard Duncan Van Diver. Who has any idea who William Duncan Van Diver is? Anybody? Alright, you're going to learn some things. He was served in Missouri... United States representative from 1897 to 1903. So you put some right at the turn of the 20th century. 1897-1903. In 1899, he was speaking at a naval banquet in Philadelphia in which he said this, I come from a state that raises corn and cotton and cockleburs and Democrats. And frothy eloquence neither convinces nor satisfies me. I'm from Missouri. You've got to show me. And with that quote, in that um, message, in that talk, Missouri's uh, slogan was maybe not coined, but was popularized for sure. It is the state motto of Missouri. They are called the show me state. It's an attitude that says we are not a gullible people, but we are a people who will investigate and will find out regardless of how fine-sounding your argument sounds or may appear, we won't take your word for it. We need sufficient evidence to convince us of anything. And in this way, those from Missouri share a characteristic of a biblical character named, help me, Thomas. In Thomas, he's the one who's been called Doubting Thomas. You might say Thomas from Missouri. He's the show me Thomas who when he encountered the other disciples who told him that Jesus risen from the dead, he's the one who said, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger in the mark of the nails and place my hand in his side, I will never believe. In effect, he was saying to the disciples, show me. It is the title of my message this morning from John chapter 20, verses 24 through 20, 29. I invite you to open your Bibles there. If you have a pew Bible, 
You're more than welcome to take it, open it up to page 89 in the New Testament that's in the back portion of the Bible. I want to read all of John chapter 20 just to set um, Thomas in context. John chapter 20, 1 through 31. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. So she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they are, where they have laid Him. So Peter and the other disciple went forth and they were going to the tomb and the two were running together and the other disciple ran faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. And so Simon Peter also came following him and entered the tomb and he saw the linen wrappings lying there and the face cloth which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. So the other disciple who had first come to the tomb then also entered and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the Scripture that he must rise again from the dead. So the disciples went away again to their homes. But Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping and so as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid Him. And when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing Him to be the gardener, she said to Him, Sir, if you have carried Him away, tell me where you have laid Him, and I will take Him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means my teacher. And Jesus said to her, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene came announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that He has said these things to her. And it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were, for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when they had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. And the disciples then rejoiced, and they saw the Lord. And so Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. And here's our text, 24 through 29. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were saying to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails... And put my finger into the place of the nails. And put my hand into his side. I will not believe. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Reach here with your finger and see my hands and reach here 
your hand and put it into my side, and do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see, yet believed. Therefore many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. It's a great story, isn't it? It's a story of disappointment turned into hope. Well, this past week, a story broke on the national scene, which was a story of disappointment turned to hope. It's a story of this man, Louis Jordan. He's on his, uh, his boat. He was lost at sea for 66 days when his mast broke in the midst of a storm. And he said, I was planning on catching some big ones. And on the way there, my boat capsized and I was actually sleeping when it happened and the whole boat had turned around. I was flying through the air somersaulting and the ceiling was the floor and the floor was the ceiling and this side was the other side and everything was upside down and backwards. He had set sail on, July, on January 23rd, 2015. Just whatever, 70 days ago. And then six days later, his family filed a missing person report to the Coast Guard because they hadn't heard from him. He expected him to go out. I'm not sure how long, but come back quickly. But within six days, that was too long. And within ten days later, on February 8th, this February 8th, the Coast Guard set out a search. And after ten days, the search was suspended. Now, fortunate for him, the, the ship righted, which gave him some protection from the sun. It, furthermore, his boat had about a month's supply of canned food, so he could sustain himself for a a good month or so, but when these ran out, he learned to survive on, on raw fish and, and rainwater. And as you can imagine, his family back home was, was a bit worried, facing a range of emotions. I read, with you, read for you a few posts from his father's Facebook page. Just it, it shows the angst of the disappointment, of the, the uncertainty, the unknown, much like the disciples felt when they saw the empty tomb. He said, when your sun disappears and the weeks wear on and the weather is cold and the Atlantic is stormy and wild, many horrible thoughts begin to go through your mind and you begin to unravel. Your life becomes a muddled jumble of prayers and tears and doubts. And no doubt the disciples were facing that as well. A muddled jumble of prayers and tears and doubts. March 2nd, he wrote this. Now it appears that Lewis may be gone. God only knows when I will join Him and others. You know the ones who have left us, the ones who played their part in this stage of life and then exited to make room for others. don't want to comment on his theology. just want to comment basically on just he's kind of given up his son for loss and just thinking and reflecting upon death. March 10th, nothing from or about Lewis. You don't know whether to mourn or what. When you're lost at sea, only God knows where you are. And after 66 days at sea, a passing cargo ship spotted him, took him on board. They called the the Coast Guard, who rescued him by a helicopter. And you can only imagine the joy of the reunion of the family. They, They thought him to be dead, but he was found alive. His mother said, it's amazing. It's been very difficult not knowing anything. And I, I just feel like all our prayers have come true and they have been answered. 
The similar feelings, of course, were probably experienced by the disciples. They were filled with sorrow as their leader was crucified and buried in the tomb. Yes, Jesus had told them of the resurrection, but he was dead. And they knew that he was dead. But they didn't believe, they didn't understand. In fact, verse 9 of our text even says that they, they didn't understand the Scripture that He must rise again from the dead. There were, there were doubts swirling in their mind. They didn't really understand. And yet, with reports of the empty tomb, there was this hope in the back of their mind. But it was all veiled and their minds were swirling trying to capture what was going on. In Luke 24, you, you, you see the, the disciples on the road to Emmaus. They're, they're so confused about what's happening. Yes, it's been three days. He says it's going to arise. There's rumors of it. What's happening? And their, their mind is, is swirling. And that's what makes the appearances of Jesus so marvelous. It was so unexpected by the disciples. Mary initially thought that Jesus was the gardener. We found out that it was Jesus because the way she said her name... She clung to her. She clung to him. And Matthew says that he, she took hold of his feet. And, and Jesus, that interesting verse there in verse 17, says, no, stop clinging to me. He says, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. I think that means, is, listen, I'm going to be with you sometime. I've not yet gone forth. I'm, I'm still here. I'll be here for a little bit for you. You'll see me again. And the disciples heard of the empty tomb. They They went running to investigate, but returned without seeing Jesus, but saw this empty tomb. And when Jesus appeared to the disciples, verse 20 says that they were glad. They rejoiced when they they saw Him. But verse 24 says that Thomas was not with them. He only heard about this report, about what they saw. And that's when Thomas said, Unless I see... In his hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of his nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. That leads us nicely to our first point this morning. Not seeing, not believing. Not seeing, not believing. That's Thomas' position. Unless I see... I will not believe. Now, Thomas gets this bad rap for being the doubter. I mean, even in our vernacular, we hear this, doubting Thomas, doubting Thomas. But he really wasn't any different than all the other disciples. He simply wanted proof. And the other disciples had got a chance to see Jesus. Before they saw Jesus, they were swirling in doubt and concern and wondering. And they saw Jesus and that helped them. And Thomas merely saying, I, I want to see Jesus just like you all so that I can, so that I can see and believe as well. And In fact, if you look back at verse 19, it was evening on the first day of the week. The doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. They, they weren't believing. They were scared of the Jews. And then Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And we said this. He showed them both His hands and His side. And I'm sure that if they had wanted to, they could have put their fingers in the mark. They could have placed their hands in His side. Jesus would have allowed them to do that. And I do believe that before Jesus appeared, they were fearful. They weren't believing but all changed once they understood the implication of the resurrection. You read the book of Acts and you see how fearless they became. Now, unfortunately for Thomas, he wasn't with the disciples when Jesus had appeared to them. He hadn't seen Jesus. He merely heard the testimony, we have seen the Lord. And that's why he said then, it wasn't good enough. I'm from Missouri, remember? I need Jesus to show me. He wanted proof. He wanted to see like the other disciples until then he wouldn't believe. And if... If again you think that, that Thomas is this doubting kind of person, 
you just read through John and a couple other instances where you see the character of Thomas come through, it's different. When they were going up to Jerusalem, when Jesus said, we're going to Jerusalem, I'm going to, I'm going to die, Thomas said, well, let us go also with him that we may die also, John eleven sixteen. He was ready to die for Jesus. He was convinced of this thing, even maybe more so than the others. He was filled with zeal for the Lord. But just at this point, he wanted proof. And I just say, this isn't a bad thing. See, God doesn't call us ever to believe without reason. Today in our society, faith has, has come to be seen as something entirely subjective, regardless of whether or not it's true. In, in other words, the, the focus today is not upon the, the reality of the object of, their, of our faith. The focus of the world today is on the subjective nature of our faith, just as long as we have a faith in anything. It doesn't really matter as long as you believe. And you can't argue with someone's belief because it's all subjective and personal. It can't be proven, can't be shown. And I'll say that's not biblical faith. Biblical faith is not like this blind leap into you don't know. No, biblical faith always has grounds for believing. God always gives us reason to believe. In His creation, He shows forth His glory. There is nobody in this world who doesn't know that God exists. The fool has said in his heart there is no God because God has made Himself clear by the heavens and the creation. In the Scripture, God has explained His mercy. We understand the character of God through the, the Scripture. In our conscience, God has put forth sin in its reality. Why is it that everyone across the earth knows that there's a right or wrong? Why are laws in place only because people know that there's a right or wrong? It's because God has given us reason to believe. He's placed that in our hearts. In history, He's displayed His incredible power. Take the story of the Jews in Passover. Take the story of Elisha and Elijah. Take the story of the miracles of Jesus. Even if you take the Gospels at face value, they just show overwhelming evidence that Jesus was something miraculous. In prophecy, God has shown His credulity, meaning that He has prophesied of events that have come to pass. In Isaiah 40, you read that one of the signs of a false god or a false idol is that He predicts things and they don't come to pass. But God has said, I have predicted it has come to pass. In Jesus, God has put forth Himself, God in the flesh. Hebrews 1, 1, Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, He has spoken to us in His Son. John 1, 18, is that Jesus has explained the Father. See, God always gives us reason to believe. I don't believe at all that Thomas' statement here was unreasonable. The disciples had seen Jesus. They had the chance to touch Him. He said, well, I want that same experience so that I might believe. But we need to be careful here. I don't think that you should make those demands today. There are many today who are, are looking for signs. God, if you're really there, do this or that. God, if you're really there, do this. God doesn't cater to us. Jesus condemns that sort of attitude when He says an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. And you know the sign that Jesus gave the evil and adulterous generation? It was the resurrection. He says, no sign will be given to this evil and adulterous generation except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. But the resurrection is your sign, O wicked generation. And they didn't believe that. In another instance in Luke chapter 16, they had the Scriptures, 
But Jesus said, even if someone raises from the dead, if they don't believe Moses, neither will they believe the person that raises from the dead because God has given his testimony in creation in the Scripture. And if they have turned those things down, they will turn down his specific proof as well. But here's Thomas not seeing and believing. We see his next point here, verse 26 through 28, seeing and believing. Verse 26, and after eight days... His disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. And Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. And he knew what Thomas had said. Maybe the disciples had told him. Maybe in his omniscience he knew. But he said to Thomas, Reach here with your finger and see my hands, and reach here with your hand and put it in my side, and do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God... And perhaps you've seen the famous picture of Rembrandt there that captures the emotion of the, the disciples seeing and, and, and Thomas touching the risen Lord. Yes, those wounds were there. It was real. And what a privilege it was for Thomas to put his finger in the nail marks of Jesus and to put his hand in the side of Jesus. And he believed. And he said, my Lord and my God, which is not quite what we would expect. We would expect to say, yeah, you are alive, or the disciples were right. But no, he says, my Lord and my God. It shows that he'd been processing things. It shows that even as Mary had been sent by Jesus in verse 17 to, to go and tell them that I'm ascending to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. Go and tell them these things. He's thinking, is, is Jesus really God? Is He really the Lord? And, and when He found out, He spoke this marvelous confession. It's a clear expression of the divinity of Jesus. My Lord, my Sovereign One, and my God. When Cornelius fell at the feet of Peter to worship Him, Peter said, stand up, I'm a man. When those in Lystra sought to worship Paul, he again said, Men, why are you doing these things? We are of like nature as you. And when John fell at the feet of an angel, the angel rebuked him and said, Do not do that. I'm a fellow servant of yours. With those of your pro brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of the book. Worship God. Don't worship an angel. And every time throughout Scripture, someone bows down to worship someone, they're stopped. But not here. There's no such rebuke from Jesus, when Thomas professed Jesus to be God, because in fact Thomas's profession was true, that Jesus was Lord. He is Lord. Jesus is God, and His resurrection proves it. I want you to notice how personal this confession is. It says, my Lord and my God. This isn't some cold confession creed that is said, some statement of faith as we believe Jesus is God. None of this he's saying that you are my Lord. You are my God. Indeed, such a profession is needed for all who would be saved from their sins. Romans 10.9, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. In other words, if, if you yourself are confessing Jesus as your Lord and you yourself are believing that God raised Him from the dead, that's the one who is saved. See, the call of the Bible is to believe Jesus to be your Lord and Jesus to be your God. And the obvious question then is this, have you embraced Jesus as your Lord? Have you embraced Jesus as your God? Do you go where He calls you to go? 
Do you do what He calls you to do? That's what it means to be Lord. Do you serve Him or does He serve you? You know, there are many people in our culture who, who believe in God only to get what they can get out of God. It's like, it's as if, who's the boss here? Well, I am the boss because, see, I'll, I'll believe in God to the extent that He, he does for me. And if, if He proves Himself good to me, I'm going to follow Him. But that's not how you follow a Lord. You follow a Lord because He's a sovereign of the universe and you follow what He says. You believe what He says. Is Jesus your God? Is Jesus the one you worship? Is Jesus the one you follow? And that was certainly the case for Thomas. According to church tradition, he brought the gospel to India where he was martyred for believing that Jesus was his Lord and his God. And that's the case with all the apostles. Those who had seen and experience the resurrection of Jesus went out preaching what they saw. In fact, you can read through the, gospel, through the, the book of Acts, the history of the early church, and, and the constant message of the apostles is this, is what we have seen we're proclaiming. We're just eyewitnesses. We're just the, the reporters. They were eyewitnesses of the event. When Peter preached at Pentecost, he preached the resurrection of Jesus, saying this, this Jesus whom you crucified and killed at the hands of lawless men. This Jesus God raised up, of that we are witnesses. In other words, we saw this risen Lord. Later Peter would preach, you killed the author of life, who God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. We have seen this. And when Peter and John were arrested for preaching to the multitudes about Jesus, the religious leaders stopped them and said, said don't preach anymore. And, and, and Peter said, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you judge. But for we cannot speak of what we have seen and heard. They saw it. They heard it. They couldn't help but to speak it. So they went out, preaching what they had seen and believed. Verse 26 through 28. My Lord and my God. That's what they professed. That's what they said. This is my Lord and my God. He should be your Lord and your God as well. And subsequently, as they went out, they were arrested by the council again. And the high priest admonished them, We strictly charged you, Acts 5.28, not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles said this, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted Him at His right hand as leader and Savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey Him. See, the apostles had seen, the apostles believed, and they went out and preached as witnesses of what they had seen. That's exactly what Jesus instructed them to do. Acts 1.8 But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You, you're going to receive power to go out and speak what you have seen. See, when Jesus sent forth his apostles, he, he didn't call them just to believe in anything. He called them just to tell what they saw, and they did so and turned the world upside down. Let's look at my third point this morning. Not seeing, not believing is where Thomas was. And then seeing and believing is where Thomas was. And then verse 29 comes directly to us. Not seeing and believing. Verse 29. Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed 
are they who did not see and yet believed. Blessed are they who did not see and believe. This is God's call upon our life. None of us have seen the resurrected Jesus. Oh, there are books that come out from time to time about going to heaven. But their descriptions of heaven are different than what the Bible says. And if they saw the true Jesus, don't you think the the true Jesus would match his description of heaven and what they saw with the heaven that he told us about? I think so. It's some fabricated Jesus or some fabricated thing in their mind. We haven't seen, but we are called to believe. God calls us to believe that Jesus rose from the dead without actually seeing him rise from the dead. To see Jesus was the privilege of a few. Thomas saw him. All the disciples saw Jesus. Mary saw Jesus and Paul and over 500 people at one time. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 6, and Paul even says that, that he appeared even to 500 people at the same time. Most of them are are still alive, though some are asleep. Most of them are still alive. The the implication, Paul said, you can go and talk. There, There are 500 people out there who saw the resurrected Jesus. You just go and talk to them. They're witnesses of this. And they got to see, and they got to believe after seeing, but not us. We're called to believe without seeing. We're called basically, to believe these witnesses. Now, earlier in my message, I I told you about Lewis Jordan, who was at at sea for 66 days. Now, I hesitated to tell that story because it just happened like two or three days ago that he was was found. And and some people are questioning some things about his story. And it, it may be that his story is not true. Remember Balloon Boy? Right? There's a story that, that wasn't true. Uh, and some of the things is, like, how could he be in such health? There he is, after six, six days at sea, off his boat, rescued, coming in, walking. He, he walked strong. I saw some videos of him walking. He refused medical attention at the hospital. It's right where the first place they went. So he went to the hospital. He says, I don't need medical attention. I'm doing just fine. How could he walk so well after being on a small boat for so many months? After eating just raw fish out of the sea. Why was he not dehydrated? Why was he not sunburned? How could he be sleeping in such a big storm? How could you give an interview right away? Why would you give an interview right away? He he talked about his shoulder being broken. His shoulder looked fine. They said there was some bruise on his shoulder, but it, it may turn out that this is a hoax. It may turn out to be true. We just don't know. But think about what's going to happen over the next couple days, over the next couple weeks, as the media goes around and talks and as the Coast Guard certainly will and do look into the investigation. They will look to see whether he got on shore at all, whether people have seen him, whether he pulled money from his bank account. Maybe they're just looking into that. And I don't know which way it's going to go. I tend tend to believe I think he will be vindicated, but I don't know. But here's my question to you. When all the evidences are in, what will you believe? Let's just suppose all the evidence comes in, all his facts check out, and it, everyone says he was, the authorities say he was 66 days on this boat. Are you going to say, well, unless I see the boat, unless I touch the broken mast, I will not believe? Are you going to say that? 
You're not going to say that. You're just going to look at the preponderance of evidence as it comes to the media. You, you, you'll look and just say, okay, well, what about those people in the cargo ship who picked him up? What, what are they saying about it? What about the condition of him there? What about the Coast Guard who brought him home? And what about the family who really believed that he was dead? Did they, did they snooker him or, or was this really true? What about those who fe- investigated the facts for themselves? I would contend you'll believe the witnesses. You won't have to go to that boat and touch it for yourself. You won't have to see the condition of the boat. You won't have to see the, the cans that he went through that he ate. You won't have to see the contraption of how he fished. And so likewise with Jesus. We need to believe witnesses. And regarding the resurrection, it's been a while. It's not just been two days. At this point, with Thomas and the disciples and the apostles, they're trying to figure things out. In fact, even seeing the book of Acts for 40 days, trying to figure things out. And then after Jesus ascended, even they're trying to figure things out. They got this prayer meeting, and it was when the Holy Spirit came upon them that that changed everything. And so likewise... For you, it might be that you're just pondering these. Maybe you need the Holy Spirit to come upon you to really figure these things out. But I would say that that for those apostles, it was a time of transition trying to figure everything out. But the evidence is all in. It's been in for 2,000 years. Never have they found the, the tomb of Jesus. Never found the body of Jesus. Never have they found anything he has spoken to be untrue. He really walked this earth. Of this, there is no doubt. Even liberal theologians will say that Jesus walked the earth. He really died. There is no evidence that he just swooned, as some people say. That is, he was, he was comatose, looking dead, being mostly dead, but not all dead. Jesus really did rise from the dead. You cannot explain the phenomena of the apostles. You cannot explain the rapid expansion of the early church without the resurrection. You cannot explain of how they conquered the Roman Empire to become the Holy Roman Empire apart from the resurrection of Christ. You, you can't explain it. See, God isn't calling us to believe without credible witnesses. In fact, that's the whole argument of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It'd be good reading for you this afternoon. Say, I don't know about this resurrection thing. Well, read 1 Corinthians 15, and Paul's argument goes like this. He says, well, let's just suppose Christ hasn't been raised. And even though he said he's been raised according to the Scriptures, if you believe the Scriptures to be true, then you'll believe a resurrection to be true. And he appeared to all these people, and and we believe that to be true, and we've talked to them, and and I myself have even seen him, because God, he appeared to me, and I'm telling you this is true. But let's let's for the sake of argument just suppose that, that Jesus hasn't been raised. Then he says, we of all people are most to be pitied. Christians are a sorry lot if Jesus was never raised because we, quite frankly, have believed the hoax and placing all of our hope on Him is a futile thing to do if indeed He hasn't been raised. But then He affirms, Paul does in 1 Corinthians 15, but now Christ has been raised. There is sufficient truth. The data is in. Let's believe the witnesses. Believe me, I'm writing you that He has been raised. And you must believe He was raised from the dead to be saved. Again, Romans 10.9, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. And if you believe that, you will be blessed. Look at verse 29. Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, you believe, blessed are they who did not see 
and have yet believed. This is a beatitude. Remember when Jesus spoke the Sermon on the Mount? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Well, here likewise, blessed are those who haven't seen and yet believe. See, not everyone in the church was able to see Jesus. To the scattered churches, Peter wrote this. Though you have not seen him. He's writing to the early church. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining us the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. He says this, you don't see Jesus now. I mean, this, this was written to people within the generation of after Jesus died. Already the Bible acknowledging that there are people who haven't seen Jesus risen from the dead. But he says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Sight unseen. And though you do not see him now, you do believe him. And you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining us the outcome of your faith, the salvation of the souls. And obvious question, do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? You haven't seen Jesus. Just like those to whom Peter wrote. But do you love Jesus even though you haven't seen him? Even though you don't see him now, do you believe in him? Do you believe he was raised from the dead? You have enough proof. Anyone who seriously investigates it will find the scripture to be true. There's a testimony of scholars and people and who've gone to the Bible as unbelievers trying to prove it to be wrong, only to be convinced of the evidence that it's true. There's enough out there. You have enough proof. You have the Scriptures. You have, in fact, the Gospel of John. This is why the Gospel of John was written. Look at verse 30. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. In other words, Jesus did a lot of things that John didn't record down. But the things that he did record, like the story about Thomas, these have been written, verse 31, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. In other words, this testimony of, of Thomas's interaction was written down, written down explicitly to convince you that Jesus is Christ. And being convinced of that, that you would believe and have life in His name and be saved. See, the, the nature of faith is such that it it can't be proven without a doubt. Hebrews 11.1 1, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not yet seen. It's this, it's this underlying conviction that these realities are true and they will come to pass. That's how God has created the world. He wants us to come to Him by faith. And this faith He has intentionally left a little fuzzy, trusting on eyewitnesses. But... Without faith, it's impossible to please God, for he who comes to him must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. See, God wants us to come by faith. God wants us to come without everything, even all shut down and nailed, but with a preponderance of evidence that we can trust that Jesus indeed rose from the dead. The Bible really is all the evidence that we need. To show me, I have shown you. Show me, Peter showed himself to Thomas. God has shown us, so let's, let's believe. Let's pray.
Father, thank you for including the story in the canon of Holy Scripture. Oh, Father, that we might know Christ and know that He rose from the dead. That is our hope. Our hope of a, of a new body comes from the reality of the new body that, that Christ received. Father, and though all of us are in the image of the man of dust, Adam, we know that by faith we shall bear the image of the man in heaven, Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, I pray that you would come and you would persuade the unbelieving hearts, even as Jesus said, be not unbelieving but believing. Father, there is tremendous blessing in that. And I, I pray that you would God, show that, God, to those who today come in a, in a doubting way. Let's, let's believe and rejoice that Christ indeed arose. <laughs> he was in the grave, but Christ arose. Hallelujah, Christ arose. We pray in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.